You are listening to a sermon from the First Baptist Church of Ewing, a Christ-centered church in Lewis County. Luke chapter 2, starting there in verse 1, says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Cornelius was the governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, uh, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And, but Mary treasured up all of these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, and it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So in order to understand the Bible, you really have to understand the life and the ministry of Jesus. All of Scripture is really a, a foreshadowing of Jesus as the coming Messiah, or it's a reflection on his life, his death, and his resurrection. But to understand Jesus, you, you also have to understand the rest of the Bible, understanding the history of God's relationship with the Israelites uh, helps you, uh, provides you with critical insight into understanding Jesus's motives and his message. 
Uh, understanding individuals like Adam and Moses and David help you to understand that Jesus has come as a new and better Adam and Moses and David. So over the, the last 10 weeks, we've been looking at an overview or sort of a highlight reel of the Old Testament uh, to see how it all prepares for the way of Christ's arrival. And now, over the next six weeks, as we're looking at kind of the big picture and the big idea of the New Testament, uh, we're going to spend the first three weeks exploring Jesus's birth, his ministry, uh, and his death and resurrection. And through it, we'll see that ultimately Jesus is the key to understanding the rest of Scripture and what the Bible means for us. Uh, and, and this morning, as I just read from Luke chapter 2, we're going to turn our attention to Jesus' arrival on earth as God incarnate, as God in the flesh. And you'll see from this text how Jesus' birth prepares you for his death. Jesus' birth prepares you for Jesus' death. How the, the humble nature of Jesus' arrival prepares you for the humiliating nature of his departure. Uh, and to see all of this, there, there's four aspects of this story and, and the details in the story that I want to, to draw your attention to. I want you to see the context into which Jesus arrives, the manner in which he arrives, to whom he arrives to, and finally, the reason that he arrives at all. So first, let, let's look at the, the context into which Jesus arrives. Because Jesus wasn't born in a vacuum. Uh, he was a real man born into a very real society and culture, every bit as complicated and broken as our own today. Verse 1 gives you insight into some of this context, noting that Caesar Augustus was ruler over the Roman Empire in these days. Uh, Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And after his father, Julius Caesar's assassination in 44 BC, the Roman government posthumously deified him as a god. Uh, he was known as the divine Julius. And so when Augustus assumes the role of emperor in his place, he became known as the son of that divine god. Julius Caesar was god, Augustus Caesar, or Caesar Augustus, was known as the Son of God. But unknown to that Son of God, the real Son of God was about to be born in Bethlehem. 
Augustus had decreed a census to be taken across the empire, and as a result, Mary and her fiancé, Joseph, were to travel to the city of Bethlehem to register for that census. Verse 4 notes that they traveled to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because Joseph was of the house and lineage of David. Now, we're often more quick to associate the city of Jerusalem with David, but Bethlehem is where David began. Uh, If you recall, when we studied 1 Samuel chapter 16 a few weeks ago, it was Bethlehem where Samuel came to anoint David with oil so that he might be king instead of Saul. So so just as King David had humble beginnings in Bethlehem, so too will a new king. In the previous chapter of Luke, uh, Gabriel had just appeared to Mary, telling her that though she was a virgin, she was about to uh, give birth to the long-awaited Messiah. And now that that time has almost come, uh, it's fitting that she is going to give birth to Jesus here in the town of Bethlehem, in this city of David, uh, whose name uh, in Hebrew, the the name Bethlehem, uh, actually translates as house of bread. So it's fitting that out of the house of bread is going to come the one who will one day be called the bread of life. And as you you read all of the the details of this story and you look at this narrative, you you begin to see that nothing about Jesus' arrival on earth came about by happenstance. Though these events in the life of Joseph and Mary appeared to be orchestrated by Augustus, they're ultimately being orchestrated by the Lord. Though that you would look at all of these details and see that the census that has come about, it's being orchestrated by the Roman emperor. It is really being orchestrated by the Lord himself. And though it may appear insignificant that Jesus is born in this tiny village of Bethlehem, even that itself is the fulfillment of the ancient uh, ancient prophecy foretold by Micah. And so you, you see that, that even before the foundations of the earth, the Lord had a plan to bring about redemption and salvation to man. And every step of the way, in every chapter of history, this, this plan has been unfolding piece by piece. And, and every step of the way, it is and it has been and it will continue to be fully orchestrated by the Lord. So, so that's the, the context into which Jesus arrives. 
Uh, Let's also see the manner in which he arrives. Uh, Verse 7 notes that that after he had, uh, they, they had been in Bethlehem, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, we, we often envision, when we envision the, the birth of Christ, uh, we're, we're often overly influenced by uh, the variety of nativity sets or Christmas cards or uh, movie depictions. Uh, and it's, it's easy to have in your head this, this image of Mary and Joseph kind of rushing into Bethlehem, running frantically from hotel to hotel, uh, because Mary is just right on the, the verge of giving birth. And then finally after that, that last innkeeper says that there's, there's no room, there's no, no vacancy out of exhaustion or desperation, uh, Mary and, and Joseph just settle finally for staying in a stable, and, and she gives birth to Jesus there. And then, then even you know at the very beginning uh, of Jesus's you know with his birth, he's, he's already depicted as is kind of this this sort of outcast from society because uh, even in his birth he he was born among livestock. But even though, you know, th- this is kind of the, this, this frantic, fast pace uh, running around Bethlehem trying to find a hotel, even though that, that's how we often uh, picture this story or see it, uh, let's, let's try to, to set aside some of these uh, preconceptions for a moment and, and just focus on what this text is actually telling us about the manner in which Jesus was born. Uh, Verse 6 says that while they were there, the time came for Mary to give birth. So so Mary and Joseph had likely already been staying in Bethlehem a while when it came time for Jesus to be born. They weren't frantically running about town just as Mary was about to give birth. Uh, They they were most likely already there, and they probably weren't rejected by some distraught innkeeper with no vacancy in his inn. Uh, That word that we translate from Greek into into English to mean inn, uh, it it can also just mean the the guest bedroom at someone's house. And, And since we know from the text that Joseph was from Bethlehem, it's more than likely that they had relatives that were residing there. So, so what probably happened is likely that, that Mary and Joseph uh, went to Bethlehem and they stayed with relatives. But because of the census, there were so many others that were already staying there as well. That, that when Jesus was born, the, the only place available to set him to to get any kind of rest was to to lay him in this manger out in the stable, which a manger is basically just like a feeding trough for the animals. So so the biblical narrative, as you you look at it, uh, it, it's not quite as as frantic 
uh, of a description as Jesus being born as, as kind of this, this outcast. Uh, it's probably a, a quieter affair where Jesus was born surrounded by family that loved him very much. Uh, but, but what shines through this, with this story as you read through all of the details um, is still the humble manner in which Jesus was born. You see the humility of Jesus through his arrival in this way. I mean, when you, when you think about the Lord, the, the God of everything, and his inexhaustible wealth and riches are almost difficult to describe in human words. Uh, Psalm 50 comes about as close as you can when it says that the Lord is the owner of cattle on a a thousand hills, uh, which which is just another way of of saying that the the depth of his wealth and riches uh, is bottomless. And and so when you you think about this kind of God, the, the God who created all things and owns all things, for, for this God to become a baby and, and to trade the comforts of a throne for a feeding trough full of hay. This is the absolute height of humility. It shows what the Lord was willing to do to sacrifice, what he was willing to sacrifice even in his arrival on earth. And it foreshadows for you what he will be willing to sacrifice in order to restore this earth that that has been marred and broken by sin. So you've seen the context, you've seen the, the manner in which he arrives, but let's also look to whom Jesus arrives to. Verse 8 says that in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, the Gospel of Matthew, if you read the Christmas story in Matthew, it records that wise magi, uh, who are most likely kings, Uh, will later come to present this baby king with gifts. But but we learn here in Luke that long before Jesus was ever seen by kings, he was first seen by common shepherds. And pay careful attention to the shepherds in this story. Look to see how... Uh, look, look, at, look at first how they hear of Jesus's arrival, and then look at how they respond to Jesus's arrival. First, how they, they hear of Jesus's arrival. Verse 9 says that an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of God shone around them. And then the angel says, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. 
the shepherds were just minding their own business, tending to their own flock, until an angel sent by God came to them to tell them of the good news of the Savior that had finally arrived. And it was true then, and that same, the same is true today as well. That unless God takes the initiative to reveal himself, he, he won't be revealed at all. And this means that, that someone can read scripture until they have every verse memorized, but, but unless it's the Holy Spirit that comes to illuminate for them those life-giving, life-saving truths to, to which the, the Bible speaks of, that, then God won't be revealed. Without the Lord sending an angel out into the fields to speak to the shepherds, uh, the, the shepherds would never have left that field and they would have missed Jesus's arrival completely. And, and even now, with, without God taking the initiative, disrupting our lives, uh, revealing himself to us, uh, we, we would all still be stuck out in the field preoccupied with ourselves, uh, and we, we would have missed out on the greatest news that has ever come to the human race. So, so an angel approaches the shepherds, and that's how they, they hear of the, the good news of Jesus's arrival, but, but also note how they respond to that news. Because even more important than hearing the good news is how you respond to that good news. First, look at, look at just a moment how the angels respond to this news. Uh, verse 13, we read that suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, it only took one angel to proclaim the good news, but, but apparently it takes a multitude of heavenly hosts to respond to that good news. That, that angelic messenger can't even let these shepherds know that Jesus was born in Bethlehem without a choir of angels breaking into praise and giving glory to God. Now, let, let me ask you this. How, how, do, how do you respond to that good news? What, what, what do you do when you hear it? Is, is the good news of Jesus's arrival and that reality that he came to slay the sins of man, is that still good news to you as it was to those angels? Or has the goodness of that news faded 
and become something that you just tend to take for granted. Yes, maybe there was a time when the gospel was great news to your ears, when you first heard of the peace and the comfort that it offered, but now it's really more of just a distant memory for you rather than a present reality. We should be a people who rejoice at hearing the news of Christ's arrival on earth as well as his death that defeated our sins on the cross. We should be a people that rejoice in hearing that. And we should strive to be a people who long to hear the story of the gospel every time we gather. And like these angels, we should be moved to the point of praise and worship every time this story is told. It may only take one pastor in the pulpit to proclaim this news, but it should take an entire congregation to celebrate the greatness of this news. So that's how the angels respond. Notice also, though, how the shepherds respond. Verse 16 says, They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They, they not only left their fields, but they left so in haste. They, they, they didn't wait around until morning They didn't wait until some other shepherds could come and and take over their flocks for a while. They they dropped everything that they were doing and immediately sought after this newborn king. Now, if you're here today and, and you're not yet a follower of Christ, let me just pause for a moment to remind you that the good news of the gospel, it's only good news if you make haste to respond to it. If you hesitate or you tarry, there may come a point in time where it is too late to respond. If you find yourself on the other side of eternity and you realize that that you never dropped what you were doing and you never ran to Christ as your only hope, as, as your only savior, and you never submitted to him as king, then that good news of the gospel will become news of great sorrow knowing what had been offered to you, yet you chose to pass it up. So that's how the angels respond. That's how the shepherds respond. So so we've looked at the context in which Jesus arrives and the manner in which he arrives uh, and to to whom he arrives to. But but finally, you, you can't read this story without seeing the reason why Jesus arrives at all. The the final verse in this text, verse 21, 
we read that at the end of eight days, when he, uh, he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus is the uh, same Hebrew name as Joshua from the Old Testament. Uh, it's the, the same name. And like most Hebrew names, it has a meaning. It translates into English as God is salvation. And so just like Joshua of the Old Testament, who saved his people, leading them out of the desert and crossing over the Jordan River into Cana, into the promised land, just like Joshua Jesus has come to do exactly as his name suggests. He has come as a new and better Joshua to lead his people from the shores of death across to the shores of eternal life. I find that many, if not most non-Christians, tend to be uh, far more comfortable celebrating uh, Christmas than they do Easter. Uh, e- even non-believers are, are fine with celebrating the idea of Christmas, uh, even celebrating a, a real historical Jesus that, that came to be born on earth. Uh, they're, they're fine with, with a Jesus uh, who came to bring about peace and, and who came to, to preach a message of good morals, uh, but, but what they forget, they, they, they forget that, that Jesus didn't come. He, he wasn't born to live. Jesus was born to die. Christmas is where the gospel began, but it's only on Easter where it reaches its climax. You can't accept Jesus's arrival without understanding what he arrived to do. Jesus came with a purpose. His arrival is good news, but it's his death and his resurrection that is the greatest news. Because it's only through conquering the grave that Jesus's name, which is God is salvation, It's only through conquering the grave that that name can have any real meaning or significance for you and I. This morning, we've seen how Jesus's birth prepares you for his death and how the humble nature of his arrival how it prepares you for the humiliating nature of his departure. And we've kind of explored all of the the significance of these seemingly insignificant details of this story. Uh, And and we've looked at at the the context into which Jesus arrives and the the manner in which he arrives and to whom he arrives to and, and the reason that he arrives at all. Uh, let, me, let me just end this morning on a, a simple note. Uh, let me reread to you probably my, my favorite verse in this story, verse 19. 
Uh, This is after the angel appears to the shepherds, after the shepherds have gone to visit the newborn king, and after the shepherds have recounted to Mary and Joseph all that the the angels the angel had said to them concerning this king. Um, After all of that, verse nineteen, we read this: says that Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her. Heart. May that be you this week. May you treasure the arrival of God incarnate on earth. And may you ponder the implications of that arrival in your heart today and every day. Until you meet Jesus in heaven or until he arrives on earth once again. Let me pray.